Human resources, employee relations, the legal department are aligned against you. Your employer has trained for this day, the day you've become an expendable number at work. There are robust laws that may protect you, but unlike the company, you've not been drilled on how to wield them. You're playing catch-up. There are pitfalls to avoid and countermeasures to deploy that may save your job or put you in the best position to negotiate a favorable settlement. Minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. The Walking Papers podcast offers the first foray into learning how to turn the tables when you've been targeted at work. Knowledge is power. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Walking Papers podcast. I'm your host, Robert Ingalls, and I am here with Van Campen Law Associate Michael Morrison. Today, we're discussing the new COVID-19 vaccine, and more specifically, whether an employee has grounds to refuse a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination from their employer. Michael, talk to me about that. Well, howdy, everyone. I'm thrilled to be with you all today, especially on my first episode with Rob. This is cool. This is cool. I'm excited to be with you and, and talk with you about a very timely, very relevant subject. So we can kind of just hop into it then. As Rob was introducing, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic has been one for the ages. It has required employees and employers to consistently adapt to an ever-changing environment. And as the news changes every hour, unfortunately, so does the legal landscape in which we're trying to operate in compliance and survive. So to the joy of some and the dismay of others, North Carolina is now administering the COVID-19 vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna to adults age 65 and over, healthcare workers within patient contact, and to residents and staff of long-term care facilities. So these two populations make up groups one and two of North Carolina's phased vaccine distribution plan. And then group three, we have frontline essential workers. They're not yet eligible for vaccines. And then in group four, we have adults at high risk for exposure and increased risk of severe illness. And then everyone else is in group five. So while distribution speed has been somewhat delayed thus far, Anyone can follow the state health department's COVID-19 vaccine information page to stay up to date and figure out when their time in line comes. All right. So what are the legal implications of the vaccine? No, of course. And those are quite still developing, if I may say so. That'll be my summary before I get into the weeds of it. (laughs) But now policymakers, with them beginning to experiment with distribution of the vaccines, employers are toying with the permissibility of mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations. And with respect to both Title VII and the ADA, it's difficult to predict how standing rules surrounding mandatory vaccinations will translate to COVID-19. But the EEOC has provided some guidance on COVID-19 testing, but there's no current guidance on mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations. But with prior guidance on mandatory flu vaccinations being somewhat instructive, it would suggest that vaccinations, mandatory vaccinations for COVID-19 could be recommended or mandatory. One thing that we see with this virus, whether it was in 2020 or now still with peaking numbers in 2021, with the virus's highly contagious nature, many employers may very well choose to implement mandatory testing or mandatory vaccination once available. But the mandatory vaccinations will most likely be limited. But I think it's important when discussing mandatory vaccinations to start off with mandatory medical testing to kind of provide a clear landscape to understand. So I think the big question that somebody 
would have, uh, it, maybe if they're listening to this podcast, is can my employer mandate that I take this vaccination? Of course. And in short, yes. So mandatory medical testing in the workplace is governed by the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, which is intended to protect applicants and employees from disability discrimination. In fact, in March of 2020, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the EEOC updated its guidance on pandemic preparedness, which describes acceptable COVID-19 testing practices. And under the ADA, all medical examinations or questions that may elicit information about a disability, they must be job-related and consistent with business necessity. So basically, an employer must have a reasonable belief based on objective evidence, which means that it can come from a fellow employee or another trusted source, that an employee's ability to perform essential job functions will be impaired by a medical condition, or an employee will pose a direct threat due to a medical condition. And then we get into another definition. What's a direct threat? That's the law, ladies and gentlemen. A direct threat is defined as a significant risk of substantial harm to the health or safety of the individual or others that cannot be eliminated or reduced by reasonable accommodation. And what's reasonable accommodation? You know what? Another definition. You know, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. The CDC, and with this direct threat, the CDC has determined that the COVID-19 pandemic does meet the direct threat standard, which, to make the long answer short, opens the door to mandatory testing in the workplace that is compliant with ADA guidelines. Okay. Now, will you elaborate for us on disability-related inquiries and medical examinations under the ADA? Of course. So under the ADA, an employer's ability to make disability-related inquiries or require medical examinations is analyzed in three stages. So you have the pre-offer, the post-offer, and employment. At the first stage, the ADA prohibits all disability-related inquiries and medical examinations, even if they're related to the job. And that's at the pre-offer. So now we're at the post-offer, the second stage. At the second stage, an employer may make disability-related inquiries and conduct medical examinations, regardless of whether they are related to the job, so long as it does so for all entering employees in the same job category. And then the third stage, employment. An employer may make disability-related inquiries and require medical examinations only if they are job-related and consistent with business necessity. And that's what we'll be discussing mostly today, this employment context, the third stage. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like employers perhaps have free reign to test employees right now, or at least as we understand the law at the moment. So not quite. Though mandatory testing is allowed, employers still have to be smart and equitable. They still have to check the boxes. They should develop consistent, objective internal policies related to COVID-19 testing. And they need to remember that they can still be liable. And by they, I mean the employer for discrimination when testing only certain groups of employees if the lines are drawn based on protected classes like age, race, color, or religion. Employers must also consider individuals who refuse to test and determine what accommodations may exist for them. And the ADA also requires a reasonable accommodation for individuals that request one based on an ADA-covered disability or religious belief. 
and sincerely held is, is the term that they use, a sincerely held right, religious. Sure. Yes. And as a lawyer, I have spent many, a lot of time reading what a sincerely held belief <laughs> oh, yeah. is or is not. <laughs> so tell us how those accommodations work. So with regard to an accommodation based on a disability, the employer must make an accommodation unless it would pose an undue hardship for the employer. And so an undue hardship is defined as an action requiring significant difficulty or expense when considering the nature and cost, resources available, and operation of the business. And so this is a pretty hard bar. And the EEOC has already warned employers that just because an accommodation would cost money is not a proper reason on its own to reject an accommodation. There must be an analysis of how much money they have, their resources, their reserves, and kind of a, a cost balance. Well, what is it? A cost? Cost benefit. Cost benefit. There we go. Yeah. So I'm like, what it sounds like is if uh, a small employer with five, you know, or 15 or 20 employees, it might not be reasonable to make an accommodation that somebody with a thousand employees would be deemed reasonable. Absolutely. It's more of a subjective basis of what an employer can do when they're looking at this analysis. And what is reasonable for one may not be reasonable for another. And so that's why it's important that employers operate in good faith when trying to consider these reasonable accommodations. Sure. Is there a different standard for accommodations based on religious beliefs? Yes. So this one is slightly lower. Well, not slightly lower. It's much lower. <laughs> so employers can deny an accommodation that is more than a de minimis cost to the business operations. Look that one up. Yeah. So basically a minimal, small, insignificant cost. If it's going to upset or disrupt the workplace in, in any small, inconsequential way, then oftentimes that bar is passed. Additionally, individuals who request an accommodation based on a personal belief rather than a religious or disability don't have to be accommodated under the ADA. Gotcha. So just a personal belief that I don't want to do something that is not, as we mentioned earlier, a sincerely held religious belief. So it does not pass that bar. Gotcha. Now, what are some accommodations an employer may make? Like, what are some examples of things that you've seen? So with regard to COVID-19, one can add additional personal protective equipment in the workstation. One can change the assignment of their employee. One can offer the option of teleworking or even a leave of absence. So let's say the employer comes up with an objective reason. Can they then subject employees to a range of medical exams if they believe or, or they claim that it's related to COVID-19? That's a great question. And luckily, no. Allowed medical examinations under EEOC guidance thus far may include taking body temperature, asking questions about if an employee has COVID-19 or any of the symptoms listed by the CDC, and testing for COVID-19. But this does not include antibody testing. Antibody tests show whether someone once had COVID-19. And the CDC has said that antibody tests shouldn't be used to make decisions about returning individuals to the workplace. And the EEOC adopted the CDC's recommendation. Surprise, surprise. Similarly, an employer may not ask an employee who is physically coming into the workplace whether they have family members who have COVID-19 or symptoms associated with COVID-19. And tangentially speaking, just to provide some more information, an employer may also ask an individual why they did not report to work since this question is not a disability-related question. 
An employer is always entitled to know why an employee has not reported for work. So don't think you can use COVID as an excuse, ladies and gentlemen. That, that seems, <laughs> seems reasonable. Like, why weren't you here? None of your business. You know, sometimes you just need a, a little break. Yeah. That's all. Why are you asking me all these questions? <laughs> now, will all of this information that my employer is gathering about me, is this going to be confidential? Do I have to worry about this leaking? So any of the examinations and inquiries that we've already talked about, they must be kept confidential. And the ADA requires that employees' medical information be stored separately from existing employee personnel files. Okay, so even if somebody got into your personnel file, this isn't going to be there? Absolutely not. Okay. Now, what if an employee refuses these medical examinations? That's the question. Under the circumstances currently existing under the ADA, an employer is allowed to bar an employee from physical presence in the workplace if they refuse to have their temperature taken or refuse to answer questions about whether they had COVID-19 or have symptoms associated with COVID-19 or if they've been tested for COVID-19. Yeah, there's a lot of buildings in town that won't let me in if I don't do all of these things as well. I'm pretty sure, especially downtown. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now let's jump to the big question I know a lot of people are having. Let's talk about the mandatory vaccines in the workplace. No, certainly. So hopefully as I begin to kind of talk through the existing vaccination guidelines, you'll see some extensions from the testing guidelines that we talked about earlier. And so that's why I started with that to provide somewhat of a context and a foundation for us to spring from. But mandatory vaccinations in the workplace, they're not new. In fact, they're particularly prevalent among healthcare providers. So the general answer is like, yes, employees may implement mandatory vaccination programs, but of course, subject to limited exceptions. Unfortunately, there is nothing under North Carolina law that would currently protect an employee from being disciplined, terminated, retaliated against, or any other adverse action for refusing to take a COVID-19 vaccine. However, we'll kind of talk through some of the federal hurdles that an employer has to take and then some federal things for employees to think about as well. So are the guidelines the same as with mandatory testing? Not quite, because the vaccination itself is not a medical examination like the testing we talked about earlier. A vaccine administered to an employee by an employer for protection against contracting COVID-19 is not done to seek information about an individual's impairments or current health status. It's really to just stop people from getting sick and getting other people sick at work. There we go. Keeping the workplace safe. Although the administration, though, of the vaccine is not a medical examination, pre-screening vaccination questions may implicate the ADA's provision on disability-related inquiries, which are inquiries likely to elicit information about a disability that we talked about earlier. So one thing, if the employer administers the vaccine, it should show that the pre-screening questions are job-related and consistent with business necessity. Gotcha. Now, is asking an employee to show proof of receipt of a COVID-19 vaccination a disability-related inquiry? No. So there are many reasons that may explain why an employee has not been vaccinated, which may or may not be disability-related. Simply requesting proof of receipt of a COVID-19 vaccination is not likely to elicit information about a disability and Therefore, it's not a disability-related inquiry. However, subsequent employer questions, such as asking why an individual did not receive a vaccination, may elicit information about a disability and will be subject to the pertinent ADA standard that they be job-related and consistent with business necessity. 
Hopefully you don't have to hear me say that too many more times, but as you see, that's extremely important if we get into that inquiry. And if an employer requires employees to provide proof that they have received a COVID-19 vaccination from a pharmacy or their own healthcare provider, the employer may want to warn the employee not to provide any medical information as part of the proof in order to avoid implicating the ADA. Gotcha. Now, I know what some people are thinking that are listening right now. Can I refuse a mandatory vaccination? I know that that is on the hearts and minds of many listening today. And I know so because in addition to all of the legal implications of what we're talking about, there are politicized and polarized issues at play right now. And there's a cultural dialogue surrounding the prevention of COVID-19 transmission. Just to be upfront, the imposition of this mandatory vaccine, if employers choose to do so, will almost certainly result in a slew of accommodation requests, whether it's medical, religious, personal, and ethical. And some of that is fueled by just a distrust of political leaders in our healthcare industry. That's just the fact of the matter to kind of set our context right now. I know that as of August 2020, a study indicated that one-third of Americans would refuse a COVID-19 vaccine, even if one were available. And with large numbers of people feeling the need to be exempt from wearing a mask or face covering still, employers can likely expect an equal or greater objection to a new vaccine. And so I'm not here today to, to advocate on behalf of the vaccine. I'm a lawyer, not a healthcare professional, so I can't tell you any of that science. But what I can tell you about is if you are able to refuse a mandatory vaccination. So similar to mandatory testing, individuals may refuse a mandatory vaccination on the basis of an ADA-covered disability or a sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observance. Gotcha. In either situation, there has to be substantial documentation and interactive communication with the employee, which is necessary to determine whether an accommodation is available and whether the employee's request requires such accommodation. Now, that's not to say that personal anti-vaccination positions will be accepted. There's a legal requirement of establishing a sincerely held religious belief in order to obtain an exemption from a mandatory vaccination policy. I can't bring my Facebook group posts in and use that. Well, you can try. I don't know how much success you'll have, but this is a land of free speech. So, I, you know, I'll always encourage you to do so. <laughs> All right. Now let's shift gears and look at this through the lens of the employer. How should an employer respond to an employee who has indicated that he or she is unable to receive the vaccine because of a disability? That's a good question. So one, as we kind of alluded to earlier, that's a sticky position to be in, but the employer must show that an unvaccinated employee would pose a direct threat due to a significant risk of substantial harm to the health or safety of the individual or others that cannot be eliminated or reduced by reasonable accommodation. Employers and employees must engage in flexible, interactive processes to identify workplace accommodation options that do not constitute an undue hardship. And so now you see whether it's substantial harm, undue hardship, the earlier context was really just to kind of introduce some of these terms that seem to, to find their way in all of these guidelines. The process that we're talking about, it, it should include determining whether it's necessary to obtain supporting documentation about the employee's disability and considering whether the possible options for accommodation, given the nature of the workforce and the employee's position. 
So the prevalence in the workplace of employees who already have received a COVID-19 vaccination and the amount of contact with others whose vaccination status could be unknown may also impact the undue hardship consideration. All right. Now, in the same vein, how's an employer going to respond to an employee who is claiming they're unable to receive the COVID-19 vaccination because of a sincerely held religious practice or belief? There we go. Sincerely held. No. As we mentioned with the testing earlier, this is a much lower bar. Once an employer is on notice that an employee sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observance prevents the employee from receiving the vaccination, the employer must provide a reasonable accommodation for the religious belief, practice, or observance unless it would pose an undue hardship under Title VII. And courts have defined that undue hardship. We'll revisit that since... We're talking about it for the 10th time as having more than a de minimis cost or burden on the employer. And so employers should ordinarily assume that an employee's request for religious accommodation is based on a sincerely held religious belief, unless the employer has an objective basis for questioning either the religious nature or the sincerity of a particular belief, practice, or observance. If so, Then and only then would the employer be justified in requesting additional supporting information. Right. So if, you know, the employer is like just all of a sudden claiming, hey, I'm a member of this religion and we're not into this thing that you're doing. But there's a ton of evidence over the last 10 years that that person has nothing to do with this religion and probably acts in ways that is probably completely outside of the following that might be perhaps uh, taken to be a reasonable belief that they're not. Well, while that's an extremely slippery slope, (laughs) that's an extremely slippery slope to challenge someone's religious observance. I do believe, like the courts like to say, it's one of those situations where you know it when you see it. Right. And in that case, an employer should move forward only when they're confident that they can bring up some some (laughs) evidence that might point to another direction when it comes to the religion that one is sincerely claiming. That, that was a much better legal way to clarify, <laughs> to clarify what I was saying. Now, what happens if an employer cannot exempt or provide a reasonable accommodation to an employee who can't comply with a mandatory vaccine policy because of a disability or sincerely held religious practice or belief? So at this point, it would be lawful for the employer to exclude, keyword exclude, the employee from the workplace. Okay. Now, does this mean you know, termination? So this does not mean the employer may automatically terminate the worker. Employers will need to determine if any other rights apply under the EEO laws or the federal, state, and local authorities. For example, if an employer excludes an employee based on an inability to accommodate a request to be exempt from a vaccination requirement, the employee may be entitled to accommodations, like we mentioned earlier such as performing the current position remotely. Now, are there any other resources that you would recommend employers or employees that have questions about this take a look at? No, certainly. So the purpose of this podcast today was to sort of demystify some of the guidelines related to COVID-19 that are kind of hidden in the back channels of the EEOC website. But I would highly suggest and encourage you all to go to the EEOC website and your state health department website, because while it might not be the easiest resource to navigate, it is filled with timely information. There's not going to be any guideline that's not on that website. So if you have a question 
If you have a specific search item that I didn't really attend to today, I would highly encourage you all to visit your EEOC website or your state health department website. Perfect. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. We have covered a lot of ground. However, for the listener, do not consider this to be exhaustive. If you have questions, please check out those resources that Michael mentioned. And you can also make an appointment with Van Camp and Law to discuss this with one of the attorneys here. All right. Thank you. Congratulations for taking an important initial step in turning the tables at work. But this podcast is just an educational resource. It does not constitute legal advice and is no substitute for consulting an employment attorney about your unique situation before making legal decisions. Visit our website for more online resources and videos at ncemploymentattorneys.com. Or better yet, call 704-247-3245 for a free initial intake interview so Van Camp and Law can evaluate your case. Until next time, keep your head up and your wits about you. 